0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we will be joined here in a little bit by Michigan outfielder, Clark Elliott, uh, who is here to talk about the Wolverines, their, their 2021 season, look ahead to 2022, as well as his performance on the Cape this summer where he won the batting title. So a lot to get into there. Uh, with Clark Elliott, and we will do that here on the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at RapSoto.com. Slash National Database. All right, Joe, we're uh, we're back here on the podcast. Um, my dog Millie is here with us, as as you heard, um, and uh, we're we're rolling along through the off season. It's now November. That means we got past. Uh, th- th- this last weekend was the Halloween uh, baseball games practices that you often see uh, college teams do with the with the costumes uh signing day is in a week for baseball we'll definitely have more on that next week uh online and on the podcast as well uh and we're uh we're just zipping along <laughs> here joe so a lot uh a lot going on and uh as always this offseason there's more realignment to talk about so we've uh we've got a lot to touch you today in addition to our interview with uh with clark elliott yeah i mean we're, we're approaching the point in realignment
1: where it's just like you know just going kind to of wake us up whenever we get to February and let's just see what we're at. You know, like it's, it really has reached that point where there's been so much movement and, um, so it's so wide ranging and, you know, you just never know exactly just when you think that, okay, that kind of feels like the last move. Like it's, it's not inevitably. And so a lot of, a lot of things to to cover there. I also listeners, you may be able to hear in my voice. I'm sick. Uh, I have a cold, uh, which is like a hipster. I heard a podcaster of a podcast listen to a couple weeks ago. He had a cold, and he mentioned that it's like a hipster illness now, having a cold after a couple of years of COVID concerns. So uh, dealing with cold, so you'll have to excuse my nasally voice a little bit in the interview and in this portion of the of the podcast. But I'm battling through it. Um, I've kind of forgotten what it's like to be sick. I've been fortunate that I've avoided COVID this whole time, and so I've I've been pretty healthy. And um, so this is this is a it's like remembering what it's like to be kind of kind of under the weather it's not a lot of fun but uh we're we're powering through it for you guys at a time of year when you know don't look now we're quickly barreling towards the start of the 2022 season which is a beautiful thing
0: it is i mean it really is once you uh once you get past thanksgiving here i mean we, we got a lot of teams still playing fall ball right now um and the the teams in like the furthest southern climates you know in florida and southern california and arizona uh, they'll keep going right up until basically Thanksgiving, but a lot of teams have uh, have moved past the team part of of fall ball and, and they're back in uh, like weightlifting mode or individual mode. And, you know, but as, as more teams wrap up the fall, it, it just becomes more and more apparent like, oh, hey, the, the 2022 season, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's barreling down uh, even as we get into the uh, much colder weather here and and get into winter but uh yeah so still plenty going on in terms of fall ball um love seeing some of the games that uh are, are being played again this year this, this last weekend uh georgia and florida played and, uh that's a that's a fun one that they've done now you know the last two years they've been able to do it um you know playing in jacksonville the night before the the football game i i I quite enjoy that one, but we've we've seen some other uh, other enjoyable crowds, and uh, just no matter what what you're doing in terms of, of fall ball this this year and, and actual games after not having that last year, it's uh, it, it's it's been great to see.
1: Yeah, no doubt. A Couple still to come, I know. Uh, you know, USC Irvine, UCLA playing, I think this coming weekend. So yeah, still some some stuff floating out there. I'd be you know interested to hear. You know, fall ball is kind of an interesting thing so much of it is dictated by weather right the midwest um and northeast tend to start early because you got to get done early because the weather starts to turn on you if you do it too late um so for the advantage of, of being in the south you really can almost trick the the, the calendar a little bit to where you know you, you finish late enough and yeah you have to you know take time off from the team aspect and you basically take off for the holidays but you know you come back early enough in january i imagine there's some advantage to that just Cause it, in some ways it probably feels like you really haven't taken a lot of time off and maybe it can feel a little more like one continuous period, as opposed to being a program that has to start in early September and then is done, you know, by the time October really gets rolling and um, that's a little bit of a longer break. So just kind of an, you know, interesting little thing in fall ball that I've always been curious about that it's, it's you know, probably something I should ask around about just about the, the strategy of when exactly your fall ball falls. Cause so much of it is out of your hands, whether school calendar, et cetera, et cetera but there has to be a little bit of strategy to it too.
0: I mean there absolutely is if you if you look around and you know you see some schools want to get going like the second they can, you know even even some southern schools and that's often especially true for like coaches that are new, they just want to want to see what they've got uh as soon as they can and um you know some prefer to wait as long as they can and others you know some buy somewhere in the middle. It's uh there's no there, there there's not one answer there's not two answers there are like as there are like 300 answers it feels like so yeah definitely definitely an interesting case here and um as as we are today going to talk with with Clark Elliott from Michigan obviously a, a more northern school school that that is wrapped up with fall ball at this point but um you know, a, a, a very interesting program right now, of course, just a couple of years removed from that College World Series finals appearance. They made the NCAA tournament again this spring and uh, look to be uh, like a, another solid group in Ann Arbor uh, this this coming spring. And, and uh, Clark Elliott is a big part of that, like I said, coming off of Cape Cod League batting title this summer. Um, and just a, 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 an all-around good year uh, for, I guess we're still calling them third year sophomores. It's his third year at Michigan <laughs> um, as, and as he looks uh, towards the draft uh, in uh, next summer as well. So a, a lot going on uh, w- with Clark Elliott. And so we're we're gonna be excited to be joined by him, talk a little Michigan baseball. And, uh, you know, just, just see where the Wolverines are at now is, as, uh, as they start looking, uh, towards 2022. So we're going to get into all that and more with Clark Elliott, but first check this out.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need indeed.
0: Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to welcome Michigan outfielder Clark Elliott uh, to the show. Clark is entering his third season with the Wolverines coming off of a very impressive summer when he won the Cape Cod League batting title playing for Hyannis and looking forward to uh, what should be. Uh, another good season of, of Michigan baseball, Clark. So we, uh, we appreciate you taking the time here uh, to join us on the podcast today.
4: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on.
0: So let's, uh, let's step back to, to last spring. Um, you, uh, you took a step forward in, in terms of production and everything in your second season there at Michigan and helped the Wolverines to the NCAA tournament. What do you feel like clicked for you and for the team this last season?
4: Yeah, last season we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of experience on that team with grad transfers, um, Ben Sims, Griffin here Christian Malfetta, Will Proctor, all of those guys coming back. They really gave a lot of knowledge to a lot of us younger guys, a lot of us core, like sophomores in my class. So having them around really helped us, push us forward and gave us, I mean, all those guys knew how to get to those regional games and how to win those big games. So having them having them there to help us out was a big
1: deal. Obviously, that success came during a season that was unique in a lot of different ways. I mean, you 44-game Big Ten schedule, nothing but conference games. Some of those weekends were four-game weekends. Some of them were pods. Uh, on top of it, of course, everybody, like everybody else, you're, you're dealing with COVID protocols and, and just making life a little bit more difficult there. So what was that grind like in terms of nothing but conference games and the, the schedule the way it was and, and, and still having to do all of the other things on top of that?
4: Yeah, the schedule was a bit of an obstacle. I mean, it was tough only playing weekends, too. You didn't really get midweek games, get into a groove. But And obviously, you're facing Friday, Saturday, Sunday guys. And the Big Ten's no slouch, so you're facing good arms those weekends. So it was a little bit tough for us to get into a groove at times. But, I mean, you got to make do with what you got. I mean, those were the cards that we were dealt. So we just did, did our best to have a good
0: season. When you found out, the, the schedule, just the way everything was working out, you know, what, what, how did you guys keep, uh, keep focused during, during that, uh, challenging buildup when, you know, you found out the schedule so late. And then once you did see, uh, you know, what, what was in front of you, what, what were kind of the the thoughts of the team?
4: Yeah, for the team, we were all just really excited just to be able to play baseball again. I mean, for a lot of us, it had been an entire year since we played organized baseball and with the seniors coming back, I mean, they didn't, they never thought they were going to be able to play another college baseball game. So, for us, it really wasn't that hard to stay focused because all the guys were just really pumped to be there.
1: This will be you know, your third season on campus, as Teddy mentioned, and yet this will be the first time you've played a, I don't know, quote unquote, normal schedule. What are some things you're kind of maybe looking forward to or you're interested in seeing how it works, given that you know, you're a veteran now, you've been there quite a while. And yet, you know, this is going to be your first taste of, you know, the, the full, you know, full, full season, the full midweek games, all the stuff that comes with playing, you know, almost 56 games in the regular season.
4: Mm, yeah, I'm really just excited just to play every day. Getting into that groove of playing every every single day. I mean, over the summer I got a little bit of a taste of that, being able to play pretty much every single day. It was a lot of fun. I mean, you get into a groove and you find what works for you. So, I'm really excited for that.
0: You you mentioned getting into a groove on the summer and you you definitely did that after a bit of a slow start on the Cape, uh kind of an an adjustment period. I guess you really took off and and um Finished up uh, with a pretty significant hitting streak at one point, and uh, did win the the batting title. What what changed for you? How much of an adjustment was it getting to the Cape? You had taken some time off. There had been some weeks in between the end of Michigan season and the, the start of the Cape. So, what what was it like getting settled in there? And then what what do you feel like got you going?
4: Yeah, getting in there. I mean, it was tough to start off with. I mean, you're facing really good pitching, and I hadn't seen live pitching in about like three weeks. So I mean, it took a little bit of time just to get my timing back and get into a rhythm of things. But I mean, once I was out there, my goal was really just to have fun, relax, and play the game that I love. So I mean, it was really easy out there. I mean, it's perfect baseball environment. I mean, the Cape it's a Historic League. I mean, you're facing great players every single night. So I mean, it was a lot of fun. I just really just went out there and just tried to have fun and just enjoy myself.
1: Obviously, it's, it's the Cape. So the uh, the answer here is everybody was was really really good. But I'm curious from your experience. I'll give you a couple options here. Was there a pitcher you faced on the Cape where you walked away from your at bat thinking, Holy cow, uh, that was different. That guy's really good. I don't want to face that again. Or was there a guy on your own team as you were in the field, that you just kind of caught yourself observing and saying, Holy cow, that guy's really good. I'm glad I don't have to face that guy. So a couple options there, but, but who were kind of some of the nastiest guys you remember from the Cape?
4: Yeah, for me, I mean, it's tough to pinpoint one or two guys because I mean everybody out there is amazing, but I mean, Michael Prosecchi from Louisville. I think he played for Brewster. He was a tough at bat left left. I mean, that's not very fun. So that was a, that was a struggle. And that was one of my first at bats out there. And then for our team, Adrian Sarava, I mean, he was one of our best starting pitchers. And when he was on, he was on and he was disgusting.
0: The, the Cape is, as you kind of mentioned, it's about baseball, but it's about a lot more than baseball. Just what, what were your favorite parts of, uh, of experiencing that this summer?
4: Oh yeah, I mean, doing autograph signings, stuff like that. I mean, being a part of the community, I mean, out there, like those baseball teams really mean a lot to those people. So being able to put smiles on kids' faces and just like entertain that fan base was really fun.
1: What were some things you were, you know, throughout the summer and now, you know, into the fall as you prepare for next season? What are some of the things you personally were kind of looking to focus on and work on to make yourself a better player going into next season?
4: Yeah, this fall I was really just, I mean, tried to keep my skills that I had really well fine-tuned. So that was pitch pitch recognition and uh, commanding the zone. So I tried to really make sure that I was staying on point with that. And then obviously I wanted to impact the ball a little bit more. And that's something I think I did a lot better in the fall. I mean, I was looking at our numbers from the fall and I think I had like a 700 slugging percentage and that's a significant step up from what it's been in the past. So for me, it was consistent quality contact and just, staying within myself and holding the zone and maintaining my strengths.
0: You mentioned last year, the Wolverines were, were like an older bunch and some of those guys moved on now as now one of the older players yourself. What, what do you kind of feel like this team has to do to to gel and, and to, uh, you know, take a, the next step as a team going into the spring?
4: Yeah, our team, really just need to stay together. I mean, We have a good amount of good core freshmen who could really make an impact. So we're trying to bring them up as upperclassmen and just stay with the path and not try to do too much. I mean, we're putting all the pressure on ourselves but we're playing with house money. So, I mean, we're just trying to stay within ourselves, not really really get warped up in the expectation that people put on us and just uh, compete.
1: You arrived at Michigan in the immediate aftermath of that incredible run the 2019 team made coming just one game short of the national title. What do you remember about observing that uh, watching them play in Omaha and how excited were you at that point to to join the program and be a part of that?
4: Oh yeah, watching them play in Omaha was an amazing experience. I mean, that was my senior year of high school and I was watching them play like, holy cow, I get to go join this program. But um, for me, what really stood out was just how much fun they had on the field. Uh, it was like watching a little league game. All the kids were smiling. I mean, everybody was having a good time. Even the coaches were having a good time. I mean. It felt like there was no moment too big for them and that they were just out there playing the game that they've been doing forever.
0: So your bio says you major in cognitive science. Uh, what What is that and what does that entail?
4: <laughs> yeah, cognitive science is a mix of comp sci, philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, all kind of warped into one. And for me, I'm on the decision and cognition track. So that means I'm really studying like decision and cognition and how that really Works in your brain and the processes that go along with that. I mean, I got to Michigan. I mean, Michigan's obviously a prestigious university. So it's, uh, for me, I really wanted to challenge myself and do something that wasn't going to be super easy. And cognitive science was that path for me.
0: Like, wh- where where does that lead to? Do you think uh, you know? I, I know obviously baseball is is probably a priority. But but if if baseball weren't to be that, what what would you think you would you would want to do with that?
4: Yeah, from there, probably med school, something like that. Or go do research somewhere at some other university. I mean, I definitely have to look at a master's and go on to further education from there. So it's a lot more school in my future if baseball doesn't work out, which isn't a bad thing.
1: I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, certainly good to have options like that when you're, when you're talking about those kind of things. I mean, you mentioned at Michigan, a good school. You got a lot of smart guys in that roster, I'm sure. You, I mean, in the downtime you guys have, I mean, where, where do the conversations go? I'm sure there are a lot of guys majoring in a lot of interesting things. I mean, are, are, you know, are you talking about some of the schoolwork? What kind of stuff is coming up? I mean, I'm sure there's a little bit of a higher level intellectual conversation going on there um, than some people might expect.
4: Oh yeah. We got some really smart dudes in that clubhouse. So the conversations in the downtime and we're not talking about baseball range from all sorts of crazy topics. I mean, it's really cool to get a lot of interesting perspectives as well. Cause we got guys from all over the country. So I'm talking with kids from California and Pennsylvania and all sorts of other places. And I'm like, getting new perspectives on things I never really thought about.
0: You, uh, you, you play for Eric Bakich there. He has done a lot in, in college baseball to, to this point, coached a lot of really good teams. Just what, a, you know, the whole coaching staff is, is pretty high level as well. I don't want to the, the assistance to, to leave them out here. Just what, what's that been like being able to, to play for coach Bakich and, and Nick Schnabel and, and the whole group up there?
4: Oh, it's amazing. I mean, our coaching staff is second to none in the country. I mean, those guys taught me so much about the game and a lot of stuff that's not even has to do with the game. I think EB or Coach Backage, uh, his biggest impact is uh, for us is off the field, whether it's through our leadership training that we do in the classroom and stuff like that. He really takes pride in developing us off field, making us better men, overall um, members in the community. So that's really one thing that I take away, and that's probably what most of the guys take away from being around EB.
1: All right. So we will uh, we will start to wrap up here with the question we ask all of our guests, Clark. Um, it's the most important question we ask. And I will ask the question, then I will filibuster a little bit so you can you know give it some thought while I, while I talk for a second. But we ask mm-hmm. all of our guests to name their favorite sandwich. And so some people describe to us a sandwich they make at home. You know, we get a lot of peanut butter and jelly answers. We get a lot of turkey sandwich answers. Uh, we also do get some homemade sandwiches that are a little more off the beaten path. Some people Give us an example of a sandwich they eat at a local place, some place they go to quite a bit, or some place from back home that they miss. Um, so we we allow you to go any direction you'd like to go with it. Uh, but please, Clark Elliott, describe to us your favorite sandwich.
4: Wow, that is a tough question. I mean, if I'm going out, I love a good Cuban or a Reuben or something like that. Something a little more exotic. But most of the sandwiches I make home are pretty boring. It's usually wheat bread, mayo, turkey, and provolone. That's usually my go-to sandwich when I'm heading out the door going to practice. But I think my favorite sandwich that I make at home, this is a classic peanut butter sandwich. One side crunchy, one side smooth. I mean, it works for breakfast. It works for a pregame snack, pre-lift snack. I mean, it's healthy. It's pretty boring, but I mean, I'm a big peanut butter fan. I think it's a solid sandwich. That's what
1: I'd go with. So just describe the philosophy in going with one slice crunchy, one slice smooth. That's interesting. I don't know that I've heard that a lot.
4: Yeah, I mean, when you go all one or the other, I mean, it's kind of boring. Uh, it's a little bit of a texture change, I guess. I mean, it makes it feel like there's more to the sandwich, that it's more than just peanut butter. But I mean, if you just give one side uh, crunchy or one side uh, smooth, it's kind of all the same thing and it's not, as n- not enough peanut butter. So mm. I think you need both sides or a little bit of variety to make it more of a sandwich rather than just a PB toast, I guess.
1: You heard it here first, folks. Clark Elliott is changing the peanut butter game here. Uh, it's a <laughs> unique sandwich. Like, do you, so is it just that you're not really a jelly guy? Do you sometimes also eat PB&J? Because, you know, that's a pretty common answer we get, but I don't know that we ever got just a straight-up peanut butter sandwich.
4: Yeah, for me, jelly's too sweet. I mean, I, I don't really you. have a sweet tooth, so I like that more of a – savory bitterness of peanut butter uh it sticks with me a little bit better jelly's a little too sugary for me so i like to keep it simple i
1: hear you i hear you no concerns with the peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth i mean you have to have like water on hand i'm sure it's a little little dry maybe
4: oh yeah oh yeah you have to have water on you that's right if you're not right. if you're an athlete you don't have a water bottle with you, you have to <laughs> a great point a
0: great point point. <laughs> one more sandwich related question before we get out of here and that's you know, Zingerman's in Ann Arbor is supposed to be like the place to go, the the place Michigan people talk about after they graduate. Is it, is it what it's cracked up to be?
4: Zingerman's is really good. It's a little bit on the pricey side. So it's kind of tough for us athletes right now, but I mean, when you're going to treat yourself, I mean, Zingerman's is the place. I mean, you have Maison Blue Deli, which is also sneaky favorite of mine. It's creeping up there on a lot of guys lists, but Zingerman's is the classic it's to go to.
0: Okay. Okay. So uh, next time anyone's in Ann Arbor, those are the may, maybe check out the sneaky one. You know, it's mm-hmm. blue. Sounds like absolutely. All right, Clark. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We're definitely looking forward to seeing what Michigan has on the field in, in 2022, and uh, definitely seeing what you're you're able to do as uh, as the the Wolverines look to return to the NCAA tournament uh, next spring. So thank you for uh, for taking the time for us today.
4: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me
0: on. Thank you again to Clark Elliott for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Joe, I uh I was I was very interested in in getting uh Clark on this program. Uh just he was one of the breakout stars of the summer. I think what he did at Michigan in the spring was you know really solid. He hit like 270, five home runs, like just a really good sound season especially when you look at where he was in 2020 now i mean it was an abbreviated schedule and he started every game as a true freshman for the wolverines but definitely had made a step in 2021 and then he went out and he did what he did this summer in the cape and he did it for a team in hyannis that you know it wasn't like he was particularly protected in the lineup they were the last place team uh in the in the standings and um, not the most potent offense on the Cape, but he, you know, he was like the the shining star there, and was, uh, you know, really really made a, a, a big step in in terms of putting himself on the draft map this this summer. So I'm really interested in what what he's doing, and I'm also really interested in what Michigan is doing as as the Wolverines look to continue, um, you know, to push at, at, at the top of the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, totally agree on on both accounts. You know, he was a, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, I knew the name, you know, just to look back a little bit on, on 2021, it was the big 10 was, as we talked about a couple of times, it was a little bit hard to follow just because it started late and it was all conference games. And so you really had to get into conference mode and then it became so jumbled at a certain point. There were just yada, 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 a lot of reasons why it was tough to follow. So that, you know, the Michigan team was a weird one where they, you know, we, we, all along kind of assumed they were going to be in the postseason and then they cut it close in the end and they ended up doing it so I think that kind of extended to some of their players and so you're right that Clark Elliott had a nice season and and there were some guys in that lineup that had you know even better ones that I just kind of you know uh, had kind of failed to acknowledge because it was hard to hard to follow and hard to really lock into the Big Ten as much and hopefully that changes a little bit in 2022 but certainly a good omen doing what he did on the Cape I know you know the guys who I mean, you could tell me better than I would know, and, and certainly the guys who cover the draft like Carlos or just longtime observers, uh, uh, Carlos Clazo, I should for the listeners, a Baseball America draft writer, you know, would tell us that you know, Cape performance, especially with something like leading the league in batting average, um, pretty good indicator of, of what a guy can do, certainly at the next level, um, but I think it would also tend to bode well for what that person does in the following season. And you heard it from him a little bit, that, Hey, we didn't have midweek games. We didn't, you know, we had a, a weird schedule where we had to be locked in from day one. Um, so I think certainly with a more normal schedule, I think that also helps and, you know, don't look now, you mentioned it being interested in Michigan. I think it's a pretty good lineup again, just kind of scrolling through what they they have back where you, you, you know, you talk about Clark Elliott, but you also talk about guys like Ted Burton and Tito Flores, and Jimmy Obertop. And you know, they've got some guys who are gone, you know, the grad transfers that he mentioned in the interview. Those guys, obviously not there. They did a good job kind of plugging some holes last year in a, in a pinch. Um, so there, there are some pieces to replace, but I think it's a pretty good lineup for a Michigan team that I think is, is going to be right there again in the big 10.
0: I, I like the Wolverines as uh, you, know, you look to 2022. I, I think we have Nebraska right now as the favorite. That was where, where we were at coming out of the season. Um, I, be kind of interested in in revisiting that and and seeing where we're at this uh you know coming out of the fall i know you just spoke with uh with will bolt for a five questions series so you obviously could speak to that pretty well but i i like the the three teams that made the postseason from the big 10 last year nebraska michigan and maryland i think those three are going to be good again like they return enough they have the hallmarks of, of being able to, to compete at, at a high level. And, um, you know, I, Indiana got to figure they're, they're going to be solid again. And Ohio state and Iowa, these are teams that, that find a way to consistently be in the discussion. But in terms of who is at the very peak of the conference, like I would just kind of look to those three teams and say that they, they should be able to run it back in a lot of ways. And, uh, you look at Michigan and, and yeah, I, I like what they're, what they're doing offensively. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Obertop. I, I, I thought uh he was gonna have a bigger year this year than than he wound up having, but like the offensive potential is is really significant. Um, you, you know, you now see uh, or everyone can now see what Elliott can do. And um the Michigan's a team that always defends really well. They do have to replace some some key spots in terms of defense, but uh under eric Backic, they're they're always going to be a, a good defensive team that that's just one of the, the standards and you know, so i i i think they have a, a really intriguing group now you mentioned what does being the batting champion mean on the cape and that's an interesting question uh historically it or like historically meaning like in the 21st century it's been a, it hasn't been like a lock that it means what you would want it to mean. Um, Andrew Kalika like owns the Cape record. He hit four twenty five in 2015. And I don't know how many folks listening to this podcast remember Andrew Kalika playing for UCSB. Um, so you, you do have some things like that, but you know, more recently, uh, you know, Zach Deloach, 2019. He sure seemed like he was having a decent start to 2020 uh, when the season got canceled. Matthew Fairfoot from Campbell in 2018. Tanner Dodson, uh, 2017. Cole Freeman, 2016. Th- those are all pretty household names. And Kevin Newman won it back-to-back years. Now, from a draft perspective, you might look at these guys and view them slightly differently. But from a college perspective, these are really strong players so at least uh for michigan's sake seeing what elliott did this summer uh definitely seems like it would presage big things to come this spring
1: yeah and you know on the mound with with michigan i kind of went into it when i when i took a look at what they have coming back having not really drilled super deep into it yet but you know when you lose steven hadger who really had a nice year got you, you know maybe it wasn't at least in terms of like the ERA. Maybe maybe it
0: wasn't the like top 10 draft pick year. I like was, was like thinking he could do, but you know, he had a really good year. If you remove outsized expectations based on like what he did in in 2020, uh, that he had a really good year.
1: Yeah. When I went back and looked at the stats page, I actually was kind of like surprised by, Oh, you know, 110 strikeouts, 214 quarter batting average. Like, okay. You know, it was, it was a better year than I had perceived. So that's definitely true there. And you know, you, you lose some other pieces there, but you know, when you consider that he's gone and then a guy like Ben Dragani transferred out, and that's a guy who, as of a few years ago, kind of, we kind of thought, Hey, this is maybe a future front of the rotation guy from Michigan and injuries really derailed him. Um, Now he is at Pitt, I believe, um, trying to make a go of it. But um, you know, when you consider those two guys, if you looked at it a few years back and, and those two guys are out of the program and you kind of figure maybe they'd be in a rebuilding situation on the mound, but when you figure they have Karen Weston back, and Willie Weiss back, of course, regardless of whatever role Willie Weiss ends up holding. Um, you know, Jacob Jenner had a really nice year in some respects. So they've got some pieces there on the mound. I think it's a pretty well-rounded group. And I don't know, I mean, it's it's a little bit of an apples to oranges thing. And we've talked so much Michigan's over the last several years, it's, it's kind of hard maybe to do a fair comparison. But I, you know, Nebraska is in a position where they are replacing quite a bit all around. Um, It's kind of the opposite of last year, though, where, you know, we had Will Bolt on the podcast and he said, yeah, the pitchers kind of dominated our fall. And I guess that was kind of good news in in one respect, but he was, you know, know, when I talked to him a couple weeks ago, he admitted that I was was a little bit worried at that time. It ended up working out okay. It's actually the opposite this year where, um, you know, the offense was really ahead of the pitching. And, you know, I think that bodes well considering what they're missing from the offense, where it's, you know, three or four of their top, their top bats, but um, I I think, too, they're built similarly to Michigan in terms of being pretty well-rounded when you talk about you've got Shea Shanneman back at the front of the rotation, who had a pretty good year last year as their Sunday guy. They're going to be looking for more out of him. Dawson McCarville, a Grand Canyon transfer, who I think could be maybe Chance Roach 2.0 at Nebraska. Roach last year came in from New Mexico State. It was pretty solid for them, so I think maybe that's the idea there. Um, The question is, what do you do with what Spencer Schwellenbach gave you. I just don't think there's any replacing that piece. So I think that's a little bit of a wild card there where he was just such a dynamic piece of the puzzle there, both on the mound, he was untouchable on the mound. He was the steadiest guy in the lineup, arguably the steadiest guy in the lineup. And there's just nobody like that, at least that jumps out. But I do think it's a really solid outfit. It'll be interesting when we kind of reevaluate this as the season approaches, what we think of these two teams. Because for me, I think, without really looking at the rest of the Big Ten name by name, those two teams really strike me as this is who we're talking about when we talk about the favorites next year.
0: I think that's probably fair. Um, the Losing your All-American, and your All-American in this case is a two-way player who's your shortstop at Nebraska, uh, that's tough. And you know maybe that's even difficult for us to – fully wrap our minds around just what Schwellenbach meant to the team, because he was their shortstop. He was their like three hole hitter and he also closed. So like those are significant pieces, just any one of them by themselves, you lose that player. Uh, it would, we we would have to be like, well, okay, well, how are they replacing that? And, And in this case, it's one guy doing those, those three massive roles. So that is, uh, that's definitely one thing to uh to keep in mind and and, you know they have max anderson back he was really exciting as a freshman uh but there's going to just be more placed on his shoulders now and um you know now the teams have had a year to uh to see him What, what kind of adjustments can he make can they make and all the rest of that but if um I do like hearing that their offense is considered to be ahead of their pitching. I I think that probably bodes decently well for this in the extent that, you know, you can take anything from, um, fall progress like that. Um, just knowing what they lost offensively. But I, I, I think that you're right, Joe, that it's Michigan and it's Nebraska right now. And, um, I like Maryland, they have some premium arms, particularly, uh, and, they've consistently hit under uh the rob vaughn slash uh, john chef regime uh so i feel feel pretty decent about them anyone else um you know competing at the the for, for the very top though it would be it would require some some breakout performances probably that, that we haven't seen coming yet uh but yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to diving more into the big ten as uh, as we get closer because there are some intriguing teams uh to be found as always in, in the conference but um especially this year i think yeah i mean
1: it's interesting something that that i'm sure we'll get into with you know both you and i kind of being <laughs> kind of gravitating towards the big 10 as, as we as we do during the season the way in which as this conference has improved it does seem like to some degree. And, and Nebraska has kind of been a little more up and down. They've been a little more fluid generally, but it does seem like we've got a little bit of hardening of uh, the pecking order here. Uh, not quite as much. And that could change, of course, but it, it does seem like and as things have kind of improved, there's a little less fluidity from year to year where the Big Ten used to be, as we talked about before, kind of a deal where teams would go through up cycles and down cycles. And you still see that with certain programs, but less so at the top of the league. Um, so it's kind of an interesting dynamic to watch play out, but I think part of that is that I haven't looked at Indiana's roster really to, to, be honest with you, but I assume they're going to be good next year. You know, um, I think Maryland is approaching that point where we can kind of just write that in to that map for, I mean, for that matter, you can do the same with Iowa. Now, Iowa doesn't have the high highs that some of these other programs have, but you can kind of set your watch to Iowa finishing top half challenging to finish top four or five. You know, I look at their roster quickly and I don't. I don't know how this works, but it's like still the same names that feel like they've been on the roster for a decade now. Like I don't, like they keep finding eligibility for players. And I I don't mean that seriously, but it's like, I look at the roster and how is Isaiah Fulard still around, you know, or Cam Bauman, guys like that, you know, it's just, it's the same guys. And so they're still working to kind of break through. That obviously is, is a good news for the Hawkeyes is, is they just have a ton of experience, but I think we're kind of talking, you know, maybe there's a surprise in the mix there a little bit, but just on quick evaluation, it does feel like we're, we're really kind of talking about the same six or seven programs that we've we've been talking about. And I'd love to be surprised, um, but it does feel like that is firming up
0: a little bit. It does seem like the top half of the conference has hardened a little bit. You know, you got Nebraska, Michigan, Maryland, Indiana, Ohio State, and then like Iowa and Illinois are kind of both right there on the, the edge and Illinois had some really high highs and Iowa's had some pretty high highs, but they haven't necessarily sustained it like the rest of the the teams I just mentioned. And then a couple of years ago, I would have said Minnesota, but you know, it's been a rough couple of years and we'll see where the Gophers go from here. But right now, I mean, that, that kind of seems to be the group. And then Rutgers is the team that's seems most likely to, uh, to make a mess of this. They certainly, came pretty close last year to to breaking through um you know but it, it does feel like after a tumultuous period in in the conference of this history it probably lasted about 10 years um you know where you saw Indiana break through and then now it's like okay well Indiana's just good and you saw Purdue break the 100 year streak of not winning the Big 10 and um you know Michigan State Popped up with uh, a couple really good teams. Uh, it, it does seem like things have maybe settled a little bit more, coalesced around this uh, this this current arrangement. Now, having said all of that, I'm sure this year, like uh, Nebraska, will finish second to last, and Penn State will, will win the league or something like that. But uh, <laughs> just when we figure, just when we think we have this conference figured out, something something drastic will change. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's the way
1: these things work. I mean, my 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 quick like um, thesis that I that I would want to test and, and bat around that we can do later is just kind of that the programs that are still trying to kind of cycle up and cycle down. Like I think Illinois is still probably in that in that category. Iowa to a certain degree, although it feels like you know with the veterans they've had, they've been like cycling up and trying to hit for the last you know three full seasons. But those programs that try to cycle up and cycle down. Because you have programs like Indiana, like Michigan, um, you know, Maryland is is approaching that point, that are just competing year after year at the top of the conference, it makes the margins really thin to where if you're a team that's trying to cycle up to really push in a certain year, if you don't, if you underachieve even the slightest bit, you're not making regionals, and now you're cycling down. And if you're going to wait a few more years to cycle back up, now you're looking at, you know, not really necessarily being competitive for the postseason for five or six years as opposed to three years. Um, That's a big oversimplification of it. But I do wonder if there's something like that at play where it's just harder to count on, hey, if we have to rebuild this thing and build back up, as has so often happened in the Big Ten, it's just a lot harder to do that year after year because, boy, you better hit when it's time to cycle up because if you don't, you're going to get buried um, because the league is just that competitive
0: at the top now. I mean, it is an interesting thesis. And, like, I also think that you can see it, like, with, with even within some of these echelons, like, okay, well, this is a really good year for Indiana is different than like, well, this is like a year where Indiana is competing. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just getting harder and harder to, um, to the investment that you have seen from Indiana, from Nebraska, from Yay! Michigan, um, from programs like that if you're not replicating it it's it's only going to get harder and um, so yeah the big 10 endlessly fascinating as always and uh i i think that the conference standings again are probably going to be pretty tight uh this spring uh before we get out of here joe uh we probably want to touch on the latest in the realignment news and uh Again, I've kind of forgotten what is new this week and and what's old from last week. But I guess the the new thing is that Conference USA is maybe sort of finding a path forward. Maybe Uh, there were reports yesterday that Conference USA will invite Liberty, New Mexico State. um, Who else are they inviting? (laughs) Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State. Yeah, there it is. They're going to invite those four teams that would give them uh, like kind of a core, like the reports also indicate that's not the end of the moves uh, for conference USA. None of those invitations have been accepted if they've even been offered, but I will say that if that all came to pass and those schools all joined uh, while conference USA would definitely be diminished as a baseball league from what you, or seeing right now, like remember last year how good it was with four teams in regionals. Uh, that would be decent. They would have stumbled into something pretty okay for baseball. I mean, Sam Houston State made super regionals not that long ago. Uh, you've seen Liberty, you've seen Louisiana Tech show some really high-end upside. FIU uh certainly has the ability to do it. So does Jacksonville State. So I don't know what that would mean. Like, are they better than the Missouri Valley or not? Like, I, I don't know, but it it, it would be something at least if, uh, if, if that did come to pass. Yeah. I mean, happy accident, you know, so
1: all this stuff like we've talked about a million times, you know, baseball is not really in front of mind and yet <laughs> coverage USA may, may well back their way into having a half decent baseball league. And, and man, I just,
0: you know, I don't you know, know what the travel from Lynchburg, uh, <laughs> Virginia, <laughs> to. Las to yeah the las cruces is but uh (laughs) although i i've learned that las cruces is not that far from el paso so i guess you like fly into el paso and then drive the next like 45 minutes or whatever it is to las cruces but yeah (laughs) yeah you're probably flying into el paso but there's at least one stop in between those two points that's for sure no matter where
1: you're leaving out of you know virginia or, or wherever it is like yeah you're there's definitely a stop between those two places probably in something like dallas but um yeah, the, the travel's not, not going to be great there um, in a lot of ways, but um, it does appear there's a path forward for survival for CUSA, at least for a little while. And that's good news if for no other reason than like, just from the compassion standpoint of, hey, there's people that work in this conference office. And if this conference dies, what do they do? You know, there are a lot of reasons why it's good that these conferences don't just go away. But man, beyond just needing to exist, it is becoming increasingly difficult to define a reason for being for Conference USA. And that's probably been largely true for a long time now, uh, but it had just been long enough that we'd gotten kind of used to it. And now it really has just kind of been front and center that there's really not a unifying thing for teams in this league. It's, it's really just about survival at this point. So um, it looks like they maybe have staved off whatever uh, death. I don't want to be dramatic, but whatever death kind of looks like here, it looks like they fought that off. We'll have to see how it continues because it just doesn't feel like it's anywhere close to done and, I think you and I are looking at a future where for the next several years we have to spend some time in the preseason when we do conference previews, double checking to make sure we have the right teams in each conference because that's going to be a challenge coming up in a handful of leagues in particular the next couple of years.
0: Yeah. Also in related news, the MAC is reportedly close to inviting Middle Tennessee State and uh, Western Kentucky. They would move from Conference USA from a baseball standpoint, I mean, obviously we spent a lot of time talking about the Mac on this podcast last year. I don't know that if you add Western Kentucky and middle Tennessee state to the Mac a year ago, like, does that actually like push ball States RPI to get it in? Uh, probably not, but again, like those are programs that in theory could be okay. At baseball have like shown pretty good baseball stuff at times. So, again, for the top teams in the MAC, for for Kent State, for Ball State, for Central Michigan, uh, getting two more competitive teams into the conference uh, does seem like a positive. Yeah, I
1: mean they're better, certainly better than the low end MAC programs that already exist.
0: Um, so, from a baseball standpoint, you could see some value there. I also, I also see some value from a basketball standpoint. Western Kentucky is pretty solid yep. at basketball yep. and maybe that brings a little more money into the conference. And maybe that leads to a little more investment in certain areas. So like, I, it, it seems like a relatively positive thing for the, the Mac, although I, it, it's not a massive needle mover in any direction. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, that's It's a good point. I mean, in, in leagues that don't
1: have big money football, like those NCAA tournament shares that you get that increase for each conference or uh, NCAA tournament game you win, those are a big deal, especially, like I said, those conferences that don't have a ton of football money coming in. I mean, the, the one place where it doesn't seem to make a ton of sense is from football, because I think one of the things that MAC really has going for it is it's a very tight geographic conference with a bunch of schools that have been playing each other forever. Um, so the homogeneity, you know, maybe there's some negative there in terms of it's a lot of the same types of players they're all recruiting from. It's the same types of teams. Um, there's that the parody is ridiculous in that conference Um, but I do also think it's a conference that knows who it is for the most part and it seemed pretty content to be who it is and adding these two teams I don't think really tilts that too much but it does widen their footprint a decent amount compared to what it is now although not nearly as much as Conference USA for example but um, and so yeah I was a little bit surprised for that one um just from from that standpoint um, yeah I,
0: I think that's kind of the national read on it but if you look at the history of the mac they've always kind of had like stuff happening on the edges the core is the core the the core is the seven schools in ohio and the three schools in michigan and like that is the core of the league and i guess you can throw a ball state into it like northern illinois flirted with the Whack at one point and actually like left for a few years. They came back like Buffalo um, probably was viewed kind of similarly before they joined as they reclassified from division two. Marshall has been in the league. Temple has been in the league. UMass has I think been associated with the back at, at some time in football. And none of this really changed the conference when those schools drifted away or were kicked out. Uh, or in NIU's case came back into the fold. So like the core is the core and things might happen on the periphery. but as long as everyone understands that the core is the core, I think the mat can afford to make these kinds of moves. And maybe Western Kentucky and MTSU are only in the league for 10 years, I don't know, but or maybe they become like members for the next 50. But I, I think as long as the Ohio and the Michigan stays, stays the, the core that the Mac is, is just fine.
1: Pardon me if you rattled this off as part of your fun facts about who's been in the Mac before, but from 2002 to 2005, UCF was a football member of the Mac.
0: You know, I did not because, uh, that predates my Mac knowledge, but that is, I mean, like they, they can do these things, <laughs> like things just happen in the Mac and, um, you know, Temple came in. Temple went out. Like it's it's all good, you know. <laughs> um, and and some some people, you know, Marshall had some really solid years, like the best years in the 21st century or end of 20th century. Marshall football, like the Randy Moss years, the the Byron Leftwich years, the years that people really think about when they think about Marshall. Uh, I mean, they happened in the MAC. So I, Marshall left, but but the MAC still is like that that's still part of like the history uh, and tradition of the conference all right that's enough mac talk uh for the week I, I i probably for the month i probably probably hit my quota there uh but as as realignment continues to unfold we'll continue to talk about it at some point i will like write through all, what all of this means for college baseball i keep waiting for like it to hit a wall and it never does but I think here, uh, once once these Conference USA moves become a little more official, I might finally be able to say, like, all right, so, like, where where does all of this stand now in, in terms of mid-majors and, and everything? Like, if you want to read what it means for the Big 12 and the SEC, like, that's at BaseballAmerica.com. But we'll get into – at some point I will write up like, what I think this actually means for the Sun Belt and the American and Conference USA and whoever else gets affected by this. Uh, so look for that in, in the coming – coming weeks uh but for now that's going to do it for us here on the baseball america college podcast Uh, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast app be that stitcher spotify apple podcasts wherever you find podcasts you can find us and hit the follow subscribe whatever button rate and review if possible as well we uh we love to hear your thoughts you can find us on twitter I'm at Ted Cahill, Joe is at Joe Healy BA, and there is plenty to read over at BaseballAmerica.com. Thank you to Clark Elliott for joining us today. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting this and every episode of the Baseball America College Podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next week.